First off, we have a couple of announcements for our time in the Word this morning. And uh, first off, uh, many of them are already leaving, but children through fifth grade are invited to Children's Church, as always, to the back of the sanctuary. And just a little bit of a disclaimer for today's message. If you haven't uh, taken advantage of our Children's Church ministry, this might be a good morning to do so. Uh, we'll be discussing some uh, more adult themes from the pulpit and, of course, do my best to handle this tastefully. Uh, but I did want to just offer the disclaimer that this may be a good Sunday to send your, your little ones to Children's Church if you haven't done so. Second, if you have your uh, smartphones handy, you haven't yet connected to Ferris Church of Christ, you haven't connected to me personally on social media, I wanted to encourage you to uh, go ahead. You can even take a minute right now if you want and grab, grab your phones. Uh, I, I give you permission, it's okay. Uh, Go ahead and grab your phones. You can, gra you can find and like Ferris Church of Christ out there on Facebook. You can find me. Uh, the mug on there should look something like this one. Um, we're also on Instagram. We've got a web page. It's constantly updated. So if you haven't found us out there, I'm inviting you now to, to do so. Take a minute. Get connected. Uh, it's okay to play on your phones for just a minute for that. And again, this week, I'm back on the clicker if I can remember to turn it on. There it goes. Works better when you push on. This Saturday, uh, this Saturday, we're inviting everybody out to this, this Ferris Family Cookout. Just a few short days, next Saturday, 1 p.m., this very backyard. If you haven't made plans yet to come over for that, Please don't forget, please do so. We'd like for everybody to be out there. Uh, we've actually got a sign-up sheet out in the hallway. If you'd like to sign up and bring a side dish, if you'd like to uh, donate maybe a few pounds of hamburger, but it's just going to be a, a, a quiet, easy-going, kickback time. Um, but you don't have to bring a thing. Don't feel obligated. If you just want to come on out, come on out. We're, well, the Roos just want to throw a big party in the backyard and invite the congregation over to it. So uh, we hope you'll join us for that. Saturday, 1 p.m. Bear with me as I'm getting used to doing three things at once here. I got coffee I got to drink too, so. You wonder why God gave, you know, octopuses eight arms sometimes. When you're preaching and you're me, you could use one or two more. But with that, uh, welcome to week three of following heaven's words in a hell-bound world. Our five-week summer series in a nice, air-conditioned First Church of Christ Sanctuary. Praise the Lord! <laughs> Boy, that, that gets everyone going. We might do that two or three more times a day. This series, of course, is our summer series. We're discussing uh, some of the more controversial topics for the church, for the culture surrounding the church right now. Uh, this is perhaps our most controversial topic yet, uh, considering what is going on in the world around us, considering the culture. What does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible have to say on this topic? So many people think they know the answer. So many people have an answer for what uh, the Bible says about marriage. Let's jump right into the word today on that. Just before we do, though, I'm the king of interruptions. I knew I didn't have to comment. I knew. Um, 
this happens to be a, a very special day uh, for me. 18 years ago, uh, this young woman, same as that young woman, uh, said I do to that young guy and made me one of the, the most blessed husbands on the planet. Now, if I could just figure out exactly who that guy is, that he's pretty good looking. But as you touched on the fact thinner, how, how does that always happen, you know? But, but happy anniversary, Rebecca Ann Sager-Rude. As Congregation of Ferris Church of Christ is my witness, I love you. And I even sang about it, so. And uh, Lord willing, we'll share another 19 years together times a few. Does that sound okay? Just because I can. How about another round of applause to Mrs. Rude? She's put up with me for 18 years, and that's... Have I embarrassed you enough yet, or should I do it for another 10 minutes? Okay. You know, there was a time, though, in which uh, the husband, you know, we had the platform to, to publicly, whether the husband had the platform or not to publicly embarrass his wife, there was a time in which you said marriage within a church, and everyone knew what the marriage looked like. A really good-looking lady and a really sloppy, dumpy guy. <laughs> I'm joking, but, you know, as far as gender's involved, at least, right? That's changed. That's changed, unfortunately. In 2014... One very prominent Christian denomination, won't say the name, but there are about 1.4 million members. They added the following statement to their version of their church bylaws. They don't call them bylaws, they call them something else, but I'm going to use the word bylaws. For their ministers and for uh, their lone local churches, it began directing their church leadership, quote, to use their own discernment or decision-making to conduct same-sex marriage ceremonies where allowed by law. The denomination's governing body also passed an amendment to their statement of bylaws the following year, which changed the de their definition of marriage from, quote, a unique commitment between two people, a man and a woman. That's what it used to say. They've since added the word traditionally. They've added this word so that in their own language, the denomination would no longer exclude other kinds of couples as considered married under God. The same church has passed amendments. It started off same-sex couples. It's since passed amendments allowingly, uh, excuse me, allowingly, try that again. Since allowing openly bisexual, transsexual, transgender, most recently, quote, people who identify as gender non-binary. Those who practice these lifestyles are also acceptable as ordained ministers in their churches. For some religious organizations in the world today, there seems to be no boundaries at all on who, in some cases, what can get married. This is what we're seeing. It's a case where culture is having its overwhelming say in the church, not just beside the church, in the church. And if you haven't noticed from your uh, smartphones and news channels, we're now living in what uh, Christian songwriter Steve Taylor once referred to as artist MC Escher's world. Escher's world. Here's an example, if you're not familiar, you don't remember from an art class, what Escher's artwork looks like. Uh, Escher was known, of course, for pictures that challenge your perspective. 
Got all kinds of things going on here. You can't tell who's going up, who's going down. This is the world in which we're uh, becoming to live, isn't it? Ups, down, lefts, right, forwards, appearing backwards, and so forth. It's hard to get your mind around what's happening. Today, culturally, when it comes to gender, when it comes to identity, doesn't indeed feel like we're living in Escher's world. We see this all around us, don't we? Men being physically restructured as women. Women overcompensating for absent men in all kinds of ways. Men and women who are disregarding the bodies and natures and urges God has given them for their own desires. This is what's happening. Our legislators, those who interpret the law, uh, such as the Supreme Court, uh, we had what? Obergfell and, uh, versus Hodges in June 26, 2015. Uh, these folks have even allowed for scriptural words, Bible words, such as marriage. That's a Bible word. That's not, uh, that's not, somebody else hasn't come up with that. That's from the Bible. God gave that to us. But it's being redefined in ways God never intended. And we know what some people call these alternate lifestyles. They're nothing new. They're nothing new. They're not a new invention. But just look at how these marriages, these relationships are being normalized. Think about it. Just four short years ago, hasn't been that long, five Supreme Court justices of this land ruled that all 50 states must, by law, quote, perform and recognize the marriages of same-sex couples on the same terms and conditions of opposite-sex couples with all the accompanying rights and responsibilities. That's been decided for the states by the Supreme Court. That was four, almost five years ago. And as we press forward, as the world around us continues to adopt new definitions of marriage, lawmakers, even churches now are giving in, doing the same. Brothers and sisters, we have got to get back to this. What the Bible says, what does the Bible say? God's words say eternally about marrying and being married. We got to get back there. Let's look at it. We only need to look as far as the very first chapter in the very first book of God's Word to find out. Turn with me to Genesis, the book of Genesis, the first chapter, verse 1. I'm going to do my best to do my very uh, best Ken Ham impression this morning, you know, Genesis, all that. No. Turn with me to Genesis, the first chapter, verse 1, and then we're going to skip to verse 27. Look there with me or look to the screen behind me. Genesis 1.1. We don't have to go very far. Verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God's word says this. Then God's word, the Bible says, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, Let's get this straight. In the year 2019, culture, court justices, churches may all be confused on who we are. Every single one of us in this room or online hearing these words may grow in confusion on who and what we are. God isn't. God is not. 
Almighty God, the one who made the heavens and the earth, who made us and upon making us, decided himself who we are, which gender is compatible with us, the buck stops with him. This is our main point for the morning, despite what's being pushed on us, despite what's being pushed on our school-age children, the scary part, our school-age children. It's not up to me as an individual to decide my gender, to decide the gender of someone else. I don't get to pick and choose which of my desires are normal just because I experience them. That's the world in which we're living. But God has already decided this for me at creation. Long before I got here, thousands of years ago, the very first verse in the Bible, it was decided. Let's talk through our text a little bit more this morning because we're going to be challenged on this, you and I, and it's only going to grow worse in our postmodern society we live in. Back to verse 1 again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What a bold statement for our culture. Should clear up some confusion for us right away. We go armed with this verse. It's going to really help us out. One commentator says, the Holy Scripture lays down at first, before it does anything else, that this world was, in the beginning of time, created by a being of infinite wisdom and power, who was himself before all time and all worlds. The very first verse of the Bible gives us a sure and better and a more satisfying and useful knowledge of the origin of the universe, the origin of us, of mankind, than all the volumes of all the philosophers and all the psychologists today. This means one of two things. First, yes, we can follow our culture. We can follow our our mainstream education system in saying that the universe just happened billions of years ago. We're given that option. We'd be wrong. But we can certainly make this our starting point for all of our understanding, right? For understanding human relationships. That we're just here meaninglessly and so are the choices we make when it comes to who we are. But isn't it more satisfying to know that the Bible tells us the pronouncer of human identities, the pronouncer of roles on this planet is also the pronouncer of everything, of everything of all time. That he's the same one, the same God who pronounces the daytime and nighttime. When he says, let there be light. In Genesis 1, verse 3, the same God who pronounces reproduction into existence when he says, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees bearing fruit. In verse 11, plant life. Then again in verse 22 with fish and birds, the same God. The same God pronounces man and woman into existence in verse 27. And then if you look after that in chapter 1, he blesses them. He tells them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So if we start here, if we have this biblical starting point regarding God's plan, it should clear up a few things regarding gender, regarding marriage, right at creation. But yet we see it around us, don't we? We see confusion. It's creeping in, creeping in in the church. Why should there be? Why should there be this confusion today? Seems like it's uh, pretty cut and dried, isn't it? 
Which gender does God intend for us to marry? What are our appropriate roles in marriage? All of these questions, which the church struggles with today. But the Bible says, after forming the man out of dust in Genesis 2, verse 7, God says in verse 21, Man needs what? Man needs a helper fit for him. So read with me. Look here at verses 21 to 25, second chapter of Genesis. Here's how it all happened from God. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of the ribs, one of his ribs, and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We don't see a point on the timeline in which God begins leaving the question of any of these things up to us, do we? Who is man? Who is woman? What are their roles? What does marriage look like? What accommodates marriage? I don't see anywhere where there's gray area here. Do you? This includes the duties for both. What's the primary responsibility? Who's supposed to work? Who's supposed to be a helpmate? What is uh, sex all about, and, and what's God's plan for it? It's not like we've been left with the responsibility of figuring this all out on our own. And unlike our plans, when we are left to figure things out on our own, God's plan for man and uh, women, it doesn't pick up after creation. God's plan included the creation process, and that's so important, isn't it? The master plan, you might say. There's a story told about an architect who was also an atheist. He was picking on a creationist colleague one day about his faith. Make a person grow out of the dirt like your God? That's nothing. The atheist laughed. I make entire buildings from the same stuff every day. Without missing a beat, his Christian friend replied, Good one. You're funny, but if you're ever seriously up for the challenge, next time try coming up with your own dirt first. God's plan doesn't just involve found objects, does it? Universe already in motion. That's, that's what our plans encompass, for better or worse. The point is this. When you get to make a planet out of nothing, you get to make the rules for that planet. That's the deal. That's the deal. Decisions regarding my gender, my gender role, what defines my marriage, what my marriage should look like, these have already been made for me, decided for me by God. Now I have to align my plans to his, to what God has decided. Just look at it. Look at, look at some of the things that we've come up with on our own without this. Look at where we're at. When it comes to human gender, when it comes to marriage, the world wants to talk about fluidity, uh, fl- fl- close fluidity or a gender spectrum. It's ridiculous. God, for once for all time, Genesis chapter 2, decided mankind included man and woman. Now we're not even supposed to say mankind. We're supposed to say person kind. One comedian once said, this makes a ladies man a person's person. This politically correct language is getting out of hand. The stuff, the thing in the street is called a person hole cover now. But anyway, I'm getting off track. 
God once for all time, Genesis chapter 2, decided mankind, man and woman only, called us good. This is it. No other options. Anything else doesn't fit God's creative plan of one of each, does it? Doesn't fit that. And as long as we from creation, if we could have just stuck to the master's plan, there would have been no confusion. There would have been no shame or hurts or hang-ups. I don't know who I am physically or emotionally. I don't know what to do with these urges. I'm confused. We would have gotten uh, to hang on to that innocence indefinitely. And, and, and you know, it's what we would all still be doing in this place we call Eden, right? We're still doing it today. But in the words of 21st, 21st century philosopher, President Donald Trump, you're fired. I mean, wrong. That's the one I wanted. Look at the promiscuity in the world around us. Look at, the, uh, look at what's around us. Did you know that there are uh, pop psychologists in contemporary magazines that actually encourage their married readers to seek extramarital affairs as long as, quote, there is mutual consent among both parties in the relationship? Then it's okay. Man's word says any relationship can be justified. We can justify anything. The topic of concern, if you remember, in popular culture, when we discussed the topic 30 years ago, when it came to dating relationships and secular sources, was the idea of practicing, quote, safe physical relations. I'm trying to be tasteful. From the pulpit, you remember the expression here. Today, uh, one popular author online writes, quote, we now use the word safe to help people remember that whenever you engage physically with another person, it's neither appropriate nor is it realistic to hope the person you're with is telling you the truth. That is, everybody lies, just accept it. Look at where we are today morally in this world, having strayed from God's plan, saying we don't need this. We can come up with our own ways. I'm not pulling these quotes from a hard-to-reach publication aimed at adults. Now, teenagers can walk into a doctor's office and read this article out of the latest uh, Psychology Today or, or its ilk, whatever you want to call them. One pair of practicing therapists write that a, a percentage of millennial males no longer, quote, define fidelity in terms of sexual behavior, but rather by one person's emotional commitment to one another. Emotional. This attitude toward modern uh, promiscuity, if it, if it feels good, it is good, right? The modern attitude. It's perpetuated. Where do we see it? We see it on television. We see it on streaming networks. We see it on YouTube. We see it in, on websites. Nothing censored. What God's word says about marriage these are not the terms and conditions the world is throwing at us. It's not what we're being shown. One man and one woman, no more. And it's getting worse each generation. It's getting worse. When was the last time you viewed a, a TV program or a film that didn't include or encourage or patronize a, a homosexual relationship? Or encourage you as a husband or a wife to compare, contrast your spouse to someone you see on a TV screen? When was the last time? curious. Relationships outside God's plan are what are being thrust upon us by the entertainment industry. A few years ago, a couple watching television, a married couple into the evening, might put the kids to bed right before the more racy fare you could expect on late night TV. This was again, a few years ago, the standard 
culturally, but now from the comfort of our, of our home at any hour, we're sending uh, programming, streaming programming, such as uh, HBO's Game of Thrones into the top five popular programs of the decade. In case you're not familiar with, this fantasy series has actually been banned in some countries. Banned. Why? For its explicit nudity and sexual violence. Top five, view at any time, no matter who you are. Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder we're becoming increasingly confused on God's plan for marriage, for these relationships? One man plus one woman is not encouraged. It's not encouraged by the world surrounding us, and it's affecting us. It's affecting us in the church. It is. And this loss of innocence in marriage and in human relationships that God intended, the sad, this is the, the, the worst part about it. It doesn't even end with adult men and women, but it involves our children, and it will continue to involve our children. The International Labor Organization Again, when we're left to man's word, our own ideas, our own devices. The International Labor Organization estimates that there are 4.8 million people trapped in forced sexual exploitation globally. 4.8 million. One out of every seven youths has reported being solicited online. Do you know what your kids are doing? Do you know where they go? Do you know who they're speaking with on the internet? Seven out of ten children have accidentally or not viewed online pornography. 70%. This is the world outside of God's plan. We must take this seriously. We don't in the church. 34% of teenage girls, do you have a teenage girl? Do you have a girl that's going to be teenage? 34% of shared photos of themselves with a teenage boy or predator. Unknowingly, 34%. Do you know what your kids are doing? $97 billion was generated Last year by online porn use. $97 billion. And among men and women who claim to be Christian, and again, this is who I'm speaking to this morning. This is important that we tackle this and deal with this and be aware of this. 70% of males admit to viewing pornographic material daily. 70%. This is the church. Church. When are we going to say no more? Instead of being dragged down into the filth, when are we going to say enough is enough? Why aren't we pulling others out of it? Instead of standing by silently while our neighbors and our entertainers and our legislators and ultimately the devil continues to twist sideways what our God has laid out straight before us in his word, in his word, when will the heavenward and this hellbound world say, stop the madness? No more blurred lines for the church. We're going to follow the simple, biologically and biblically obvious notion that one man and one woman is God's plan. God's plan for marriage, sexuality, no ifs, ands, or buts. Anything else isn't marriage at all, but sin. But sin. When are we going to take this seriously? When are we going to take this seriously? Our culture has cheapened who we are, has cheapened the good gift God has given to us of gender, marriage, and sexualities, made it all about the self. Verse 24 of Genesis 2, God's plan, the act where two become one. God has designed this for you and your spouse only and no one else. And guys, that includes mentally. 
That includes what we're doing mentally. It's not always easy or convenient or pleasurable, but it's God's word. It's what this says to do. I don't care what psychologists and celebrities and other churches are saying and doing and accepting and encouraging people to do. There aren't other options here. And God doesn't make mistakes. God never made one mistake. Andy Stanley said, the person you married, that's the person right for you until death do you part, guaranteed. Guaranteed. Stay faithful. Because God didn't make a mistake when he made you male or made you female. Stay faithful. God didn't make a mistake when he put Adam and Eve uh, together and not Adam and Steve. Or as they say in Indiana, Adam and athlete Larry Bird. I'm kidding. Sorry. But God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. We do, right? I don't care what any Supreme Court says. If it's in opposition to God's word, they're wrong. Not God. Amen? Amen. Liberal theologians, liberal preachers want you to think that taking a conservative stance on marriage means that somehow the conservative is anti-love. But we all know Pride Month wasn't about love. We all know it wasn't about love, don't we? It's about sin. You know, can two women share an apartment together? I don't know. As long as I get along with my family, there are days I come home from the office and turn around and come right back over to the office. (laughs) You guys know what I'm talking about with that. But there's no sin in having a roommate of the same gender. There's no sin in loving another person of the same gender. The God of love expects us to love one another. 1 John 4, 8, sometimes we may care for someone. David and Jonathan, he loved them as himself, the Bible says. Love is is everything God intends for us. God is love. But Leviticus 18.22 says the physical act between two people of the same gender, that's an abomination. That's sin. Liberals, even some from the pulpit, will say that's Old Covenant. Jesus, Jesus had nothing to say about homosexuality, and that's preposterous. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. What does this say up here? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And all we got to do is look to the end of verse 9, nor men who practice homosexuality. It's in there. It's New Testament. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yes, Jesus spoke on it. You might also make a note on 1 Corinthians 7, 2 to 5. I'm not going to go into it here. It doesn't really uh, completely apply to this, but God's continued plan for man and woman is in this text. You might make a note of that uh, for a personal study later. But you know, we can do what everybody's doing around us, what churches are increasingly doing more and more. How, how many of you have seen this? We can put up a sign that says, all are welcome on the front lawn. Take up the entire thing, you know like some churches. And, and you know what? We, we should really mean that, the bottom part. All are welcome here at Ferris Church of Christ. We welcome everyone. But friends, we can't call what God calls sin anything else. We can't call sin anything else but sin. And that's so important. And by the way, that top part, we ought to be calling a, a promise from God that he's not going to flood the earth again because that's what that means. She isn't exactly Liberace, but several years ago, uh, androgynous pop singer Lady Gaga had a hit song entitled Born This Way. Again, this is the culture outside God's word. 
Some of you may be familiar with this singer. In this song, Lady Gaga states that being, quote, homosexual, transsexual, bisexual is not a sin because these individuals were born this way. That's the culture. That's man's word around us. And I always thought, after hearing that, maybe I should capitalize a bit more on that idea. Born this way. Not just for a sinful lifestyle, but, you know, because I had a real penchant for Coca-Cola. Sorry, folks. Can't quit drinking pop. Can't break the addiction now. I was born this way. That's 21st century logic. I ought to be able to get away with that. The world says people are born with and can't change an attraction that God says is sin. But what does Romans say? What does the Bible say? What does God's word say? Unnatural attraction is a direct result of disobedience to God. It says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For, and, and you can go on and read what God's word says on it. But here's the most important part this morning of where do we go from here? This is, this is, this is where I'd like you to go from this as the church this morning. We can't throw stones from inside their glass houses. I don't want us to be doing that. Because a person in continued violation of one part of God's plan, we're in no less sinful than another. You know, it's easy for us, I think, to point fingers at others. It's easy for us to call out a sin that isn't my sin or your sin, but ones that are visible. But let's ask ourselves this morning, what do we do? What, what do you do that's an, <clears throat> that's an abomination to God that other people can't see? What can a married couple do that's an abomination? If you're married, are you faithful to God's plan from creation? Maybe it's to start with some little things that seem trivial, but they aren't. Do we look at a woman twice too long? We laugh at that dirty joke someone told you. Do we watch that inappropriate movie? We go into it, we know it's inappropriate, but we watch it anyway. We read up on that spicy novel. Everyone else is reading it. It's at the top of the uh, top books list. Who's it going to hurt? Who's it going to hurt? What do you do that is outside of God's plan for marriage and that relationship? This is important because ignoring or replacing or neglecting our spouse in any way, this perverts God's plan as well. So do we invest in our marriages as God intends? And on my 18th wedding anniversary, you know, I'm standing before God, I'm standing uh, before the mirror on this one. He knows my failures. He knows my failures. Text here you might make a note of Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 33. Husbands, the call is on you, God's plan, God's word. Do you actively stand up for, do you serve, lead, and love your wives as Christ loves the church? Do you do that? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is God's plan. This is part of the blueprint. Wives, do you respect, compliment, stand by, submit to your husbands? This is God's word, God's plan. The Bible says marriage. This isn't just being straight. This is being servants. That's God's plan for marriage. That's what the Bible says. Just as Christ does the church, no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it. We're all members of his body. Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's God's blueprint. That's God's plan. That's on us, church, to get that right. 
it's sad when we look around us, right? We see a, a nation, a culture, a world that is not taking this word perversion seriously enough. And it's coming through the church doors. The devil's been on the prowl. So we need to be aware of these things. I know it's difficult, it's tough subject matter, things we don't want to talk about, think about, but we need to be aware. We need to beware of the devil's at our door. Because some other places didn't take the word perversion seriously enough either. Sodom and Gomorrah and Babylon and Rome. Where do they stand today? Where are these places? Where in the world are these places today? Four years after the Supreme Court decision, you know the one I'm talking about, 2015, Obergfell versus Hodgins. Sinful relations are justified. They continue to be fruitful and multiply. These do in the public eye. Too many Christians are either accepting this or sitting by and ignoring what's happening. And here's what's happening now. Here's what we're on the eve of now. One California school district as of last year has even redefined pedophilia as yet another, you guessed it, alternate lifestyle. I'm not making this up. One liberal professor made headlines in 2018 for teaching, quote, this orientation, the one that abuses children, little children, quote, like homosexuality isn't a crime or a choice. This is what's happening now. This is where we're moving forward into now, culturally. But I guess when you start justifying one option outside of God's plan, you may as well justify anything to your own death and destruction, right? But there is good news. There is good news for the descendants of Adam and Eve. Franklin Graham writes, with all due respect to the Supreme Court, it did not define marriage, therefore it is not entitled to redefine it. Ultimately, it didn't get that option. He concludes, I pray that God will spare America from his judgment, though by our actions as a nation, we give him less and less reason to do so. I guess it comes down to you and I right now. The church called out of the world. Did we justify Pride Month last month, kind of laugh it off? No big deal. Eh, whatever. Not our problem. Do we make light of extramarital sin? Make light of it. Do we stand by and, and watch it in our entertainment? It's okay. It's whatever. Or do we stand on this? Do we stand on God's word? There's no place else for us to stand. Nothing else is going to work. God is not confused on who we are. Don't you be either. One man plus one woman. And this is the most important part. One God. One God. Plus one God. That's what the Bible said. That's what the Bible still says about marriage, friends. That's what it still says. And when we draw closer to number three, and I've seen this before, it's like a triangle with God at the top and man and the woman at the other points. When we draw closer to God, we'll find that we're drawing closer to one another, to man and woman, that we're drawing closer in our other relationships. We'll find all that God has intended for you and I, for man and woman, when we draw closer to God. Amen? Would you pray with me? Lord, as we look into your word and we see two options, culturally 
relationally. Lord, I know it's easy for us to say that we've got the right answers and that we're, we're following the plan. But Lord, when we look around us and we see a world that is growing increasingly evil, Lord, we know that it's not enough. Lord, we look in your word and, and we see Lot and his family. We see people who were affected so much by the culture surrounding that it became a part of who they were. And their family, too, was destroyed by the sin surrounding. Lord, I pray that we would be aware of what's going on around us so that we can stand firm on your word. Help us to remember, God, that marriage, Lord, it can be everything that, that, that you've intended. And Lord, while why you have not called all of us uh, to be married, Lord, you, you, you have a plan uh, outside of that for us as well. For those of us that are accepting your terms of marriage, Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us, Lord, to do all we can to keep our eyes on you, to draw closer to you, to be God-honoring in thought and in deed. Help us, Lord, to not give in to temptation, even, even for the little sins. Help us to avoid any appearance of evil in our lives, in our relationships. And Lord, when others would look at us, they would see something different in our relationships, in our homes. Lord, help us to not just be an, uh, another option of the world but your way out of the world, your way home. Lord, I thank you for your word that you look at us and, and you love us so much. You, you call us your bride. One day, Lord, you, you're going to return. You're going to take us home and we'll get to be with you forever. To physically be in that relationship that you intended for us from creation. Lord, I thank you for uh, the elders of our church and, and those people of our church, the examples that we have that we can look to of, of faithful living, faithful relationships. I thank you, Lord, for the leading of your spirit and of your word. Lord, I pray that we would all aspire to be more faithful every day, day by day, in all that we do. Lord, we know that the world surrounding us is going to hell. And there's only one way home, and that's obedience. Lord, draw us closer to you. Help us, sur help us surrender all that we are to not give in to temptation, no matter what it looks like, no matter how the devil throws it at us. Lord, help us to not just be tolerant as the world is tolerant, but to love one another, to welcome one another in all ways, but to not make excuses for sin. God, help us to truly follow your word even when it's difficult, even when society is looking at us and laughing at us as 
as being on the wrong side of history or whatever they want to say. God, help us to remember that there's only one side of the story. That's your side. It's all yours. We thank you, God, for allowing us to share in your story. Lord, help us truly love one another. We thank you for your love, a dying love, a love that each one of us, whether we're children or, or, or whether we're parents or, or husbands and wives, no matter how we relate to one another, Lord, help us to have that same love all the way to the cross of Calvary. It is in the powerful name of Jesus I pray these things, amen. Again, I know the subject matter this morning has been difficult. Not a topic that's easy to preach from. It's not easy to hear what's going on in the world around us. But we need, we need to be aware of these things as believers so that we can truly stand on not just any witness, but on a witness that binds us together for eternity. This is eternity that we talk about when we talk about our relationship with God. Eternity. Just a few short years ago, a powerful decision was made for our nation. You can make a decision today that stands for eternity, beyond the test of time. Where do you stand with Jesus Christ? Has the blood of the Lamb covered each and every sin that you make? If it hasn't, I urge you, I urge you to consider the price that's been paid to cleanse you for eternity. Those waters of baptism, like Brother Al went down into this week, we praise the Lord for his decision. That is, a, that is an offer that stands right now for all of us, but it's a limited offer, limited. We wait for Jesus to come back, take his bride home. And you know what? We think of 19 years of marriage, 50 years of marriage. This is eternity. This is forever and ever. We will be with Jesus Christ, amen? Free from this world or not. Choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. If you have a public decision to make, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing, I love you, Lord.